Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. I am a golden god. Yes, you are. <laughs> it's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Andy, how the hell you doing, my friend? You know, man, doing great. I got my uh, my glittered, covered unitard on here. Oh, I, <laughs> there's n- nothing better. <laughs> nothing better. Uh, Andy works out, so folks, you gotta understand this looks really good. Uh, yeah, I've got some uh, leg warmers and a slouchy cut sweatshirt down over my shoulder. <laughs> Don, how you doing? I wanna rock. Rock. You're about to, my friend. <laughs> got you covered, man. All right, so this is the Album Nerds podcast. We love albums, the album format, talking about them, sharing them with everybody, loving the music. Uh, we got a solid show for you today. We're going to be talking a little bit about the musical performers on Solid Gold, the 1980s uh, music countdown show. We're going to talk about three albums from artists that performed on Solid Gold. We're going to do some shout-outs and some album-related items we're digging. We're going to spin the wheel of musical discovery to find out what we'll talk about next time. But this week... That's what I'm talking about! Well, Solid Gold was an American syndicated music television series that debuted on September 13th, 1980 and ran until July 23rd, 1988. It typically aired on Saturday evenings. Uh, Like American Bandstand and Soul Train, Solid Gold focused on popular music of any given week. In addition to mimed performances from stars at the time, the Solid Gold dancers would perform routines choreographed to the week's featured (laughs) songs. Oh, man. Uh, Solid Gold had several different hosts over the years, including Dionne Warwick, Marilyn McCoo, Andy Gibb, Rex Smith, Rick Dees, Nina Blackwood, and Arsenio Hall. Wow. Whoa. Today, each of us will present an album by an artist who performed on Solid Gold. I love the name Marilyn McCoo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so McCoo, you know? <laughs> I always like that name. Yeah, so Solid Gold, I watched it religiously for the countdown. They would count down the top hits. It was kind of like Casey's Top 40, but uh, they'd have performers. And when they they didn't have performers, the Solid Gold dancers would do a routine. Number 10, Lionel Richie, all night long. And then they'd dance around and they had (laughs) props and stuff. It was... Those, that was usually... I was waiting for the quote-unquote live performances. (laughs) Nice. Gotcha. (laughs) So there were quite a few performers on this over the years, mostly in the pop space and R&B space, but you know, things got a little crazy once in a while. How'd you guys do on this topic? This is pretty fun. They had a, they had a surprisingly wide variety of artists on this show. Um, I, th- I was assuming it was mostly to be pop, but there was some stuff in, you know, some more, more extreme genres. And it is so funny watching these like very wholesome hosts introduce acts like, uh, let's see here, the Plasmatics were a group I stumbled yeah. across. This like very uh, in-your-face punk rock group from the early 80s. Their record, uh, New Hope for the Wretched slash Metal Priestess was pretty enjoyable. Also, Adam and the Ants. Yeah. Kind of like them, actually. Yeah, the record Prince Charming from the early 80s was pretty fun. I also listened to the Pointer Sisters and Billy Idol and Three Dog Night, which was surprising that they were on the show, but um, it was a pretty cool mix. I think mostly it was uh, you know current stuff, but I think they'd have theme weeks where it was like 60s bands or whatever, mm-hmm. so that get my parents to watch, you know, get the boomers to watch yeah. the show. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
How'd you do, Don? Uh, well, I ended up uh, exploring some albums from like the new new wave space. What? Yeah, <laughs> that I hadn't spent much time with before. Um, checked out an album from Berlin, Pleasure Victim, which has that Metro song on it that I, that I like. Um, not bad. I know a Flock of Seagulls debut album, which had like Iran and Space Age Love song, but I, yeah. I listened to the follow up called Listen, uh, which mm. was decent. Um, also, Uh huh. Aha! Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. uh, hunting high and low, you know, which of course has uh, take on me. How'd you like the rest of the record? Uh, not bad, you know. I, I knew a couple. I, I guess somehow those those songs got into my psyche. Yeah, it's tough with an album like that if you come in not at the time. So I certainly did not hear that record at the time, and then hearing it decades later, take on me is so overpowering. Yeah, yeah. That you don't, you know, it's hard to let the other stuff. In so if I, if you listen to it in 1985 when it was new perhaps some of those album tracks would click you know all right so for me tears for fears songs from the big chair came to mind after I'd already made my pick so wow. I'll have to look for that another time one of my favorites from the 80s Bon Jovi from their debut album uh, Billy Ocean I remember seeing Billy Ocean on Solid Gold that's what made me know who he was and want to go get his cassette tape. Hmm. Is Billy Ocean here? (laughs) And then uh, Billy Idol, Adam and the Ants, Quiet Riot were other considerations for me. So there was a lot to consider, but uh, we each made some really good choices, I think. So why don't we get into it? You choo-choo-choose me? I'm Rick James, bitch. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> that laugh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, we are indeed talking about Rick James and his 1981 album, Street Songs. It's the fifth studio album for the singer-songwriter from Buffalo, New York, born James Ambrose Johnson Jr. Street Songs would go on to become James's most successful record, reaching number three on the U.S. pop charts and staying atop the R&B charts for over 20 weeks. I see. Let's play a little bit of that hit that uh, he performed on Solid Gold. This is Super Freak. I really love to chase Every time we meet, she's all right. Yeah, so that, that song was nominated for a Grammy. It's been famously sampled, you know, MC Hammer, Nicki Minaj, and, and quite a few others. So we're trying a new segment on the show this week calling it Clickbait Headlines. So my clickbait headline for this record is Buffalo Funk and Roll Steals the Show. <laughs> I love the fact that he refers to the band as a funk and roll group during the record, and I think uh, that's a very apropos. Yeah, fancy, apropos. <laughs> All right, so this is a big, funky, sexy record. Um, I think what drew me to it was I was just impressed by the the band and, and how great they sound. Uh, it's a it's a loose groove that they get into on on these tracks here, but it's very high energy. It reminded me a lot of what you know James Brown and uh, the Famous Flames were doing back in the '60s. There, Rick James's voice really pretty strong. He sounds good. I mean, he's he's a young dude. He hasn't. Uh, gotten too deep into cocaine yet so i think yeah his voice sounds really good and he brings the energy and just uh so much emotion to every every lyric on this on this record it's just like oozing with his personality for better or worse (laughs) 
by this point, he had had enough success that I think the the Motown, you know, he was on Motown uh, label or, or a sub label of Motown, Gordy yeah. Records, I think. Yeah. But the sound, like, I think he had all of the toys available to him at this point for this record, you know, all that Motown had to offer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, worked out pretty well for him in the end here. So like, one, of, one of the things he does expertly well, I would say, is kind of mixing this larger-than-life kind of goofy persona that he has and mixing that in with some, like, legitimate serious topics about, you know, just, like, urban life and, you know, dealing with, you know, Grandpa and Buffalo and, uh, you know, interacting with the police and, and, you know, people in this neighborhood. Let's play one of those tracks next. This is called Mr. Policeman. Lyrically, it's a it's a very direct song about interactions uh, with with the police. But it's just kind of funny that you're talking about you know somebody dying at the hands of a, a police officer, and then it's na 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 na. <laughs> yeah. And so that you know that happens a lot on this record. You know, I think there's uh, there's a lot of serious themes, but it's you know lightened up with this kind of funky fun treatment. Uh, so my clickbait headline is James brings funk to the 1980s. So this. This is you know kind of a, a, a cool transitional record here. I'm not sure I would just call it a, a funk album. You know, I, I think it borrows you know from a lot of things going on at the time. I mean, you, you mentioned Motown, but I, I think you know there's even maybe a maybe a hint of of new wave in it. You know, even that little uh, keyboard yeah. part or whatever it is, and Super Freak kind of sounds like mm-hmm. a Depeche Mode part or something. Yeah. Just for the listening audience, Don hears Depeche Mode in everything: raindrops, yep, uh, <laughs> car horns. He he, he hears the pesh mode. <laughs> But uh, definitely a, a fun album. I mean, we've listened to, you know, albums sort of in the, the funk universe. You know, we did the Chic record. You know, the Barry White is sort of on the fringes of, of funk. This one is just much more loose. You know, I, those albums were very polished and, and structured. Um, and here it's like, you know, James is just, you know, having a, a fun freak out or something. <laughs> yeah, so the record definitely deals with a lot of, you know, real life, harder hitting topics like that. It's also a very sexy record. It has like a couple ballads on here. I think probably the standout is is Fire and Desire with Tina Marie. Yeah. Yeah. She saves that song. Oh my god. It's amazing. Yeah, she crushes that song. I wasn't familiar with her, but man, she has a huge voice. Go listen and to her albums, man. She can sing. Yeah. That was impressive. Um, it's kind of the apex of the record, and then man, they both really go for it. I think another one of those songs here that kind of marries that sensuality with kind of like an urban feel is the second track on the record. This is Get Over. That's that's really good. I think that's the best song on the album. Yeah, it's, that's good. Sounds like Marvin Gaye, like with the strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got it's kind of d- dips into that territory, but it's got Rick James silliness kind of in it as well. Yeah, there's truth, of course, but the the section uh, there about playing tag with winos is just it really does paint the picture, but it does it in a way where it makes it less. Uh, severe somehow even though yeah. when you really think about it it is but the words he chose were a way to kind of it's more palatable ease you into it i guess yeah 
the section about learning how to make love or that he already, you know, he was so good at it uh, <laughs> as a part of his, as the story in, in the song, uh, kind of, those moments are a little like, come on, <laughs> you know, for me anyway. He's a bit braggadocious. Yes, he is very <laughs> braggadocious. I'm Rick James, bitch. Uh, so the clickbait headline that I came up with, Motown gets funked up, one man held responsible. I feel like he really brought that... <laughs> That sweet, that nasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sweet. Yes. He did give it to me. Like, I knew Super Freak as a kid. I'd heard it. But Give It To Me was on a Motown compilation cassette that I got from, like, BMG or Columbia House. And that bass line in it and the horns, I really thought more of Rick James when I heard that, that there was more to his sound in this album the thing is, it's got that mix of sex and social consciousness, which is fine, but sometimes I feel like they're at odds with each other because there's there's sort of like outlandish levels for each. Like the mm -hmm. sex braggadocious stuff sometimes tarnishes the social consciousness stuff for me a little bit. And then I, I kind of have to reset sometimes between tracks. Or I'm like, okay, this is the, the sillier stuff. Okay, this is the more serious. And that was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> like you mentioned Fire and Desire when it starts and it's just him singing. Oh my God, it's like, oh, gross. This is a disgusting <laughs> representation of... You know, baby. Yeah. yeah. He does love those little uh, spoken word passages yeah. there that are... And it's like, oh man, this is disgusting. But she comes in and I'm like, oh, okay. We get the female perspective on the same thing. Then it it, did, it felt very a sexual assaulty when it started. <laughs> it's also 19, you know, the 80s here, man. So it's a little different yes. time period. Yes. I, mm -hmm. I know that the, the attitudes and what was... Things that were said that were just accepted were, you know, it was different. Uh, but yeah, the 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 legend that is Rick James, I, I really think that uh, he, you know a lot of bad stuff went down with him because of drugs, um, including, in my opinion, his production of the Eddie Murphy single "Party All the Time." <laughs> <laughs> He's in the video, like in the in the studio, like mixing it and telling Eddie how to sing it. But yeah, he, it's some bad stuff happened with him and, and i think that the the Chappelle thing really did bring him back into that and the the hammer sample brought him back into consciousness yeah. uh, for people to discover his music i remember during before i saw the Chappelle show but after it had premiered i was at a at a bar went to the bathroom and on the speaker was, super freak was on you know happens no big deal i'd heard the song a guy at the urinal screams i'm rick james bitch <laughs> and right in my face at the urinal next to me jeez <laughs> I just thought he was crazy. <laughs> I went out to my friends. I'm like, this dude is saying he's Rick James. But then they explained to me that it was because of a TV show. <laughs> yeah, that really blew up at the time. My gosh. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> well, I think looking back on this record now, I, I, you know, he was a legit talent. I mean, before all these other things happened later in his career, I mean, he wrote and produced this entire record. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really great grooves. And, you know, it's a weird mixture of personalities and, and topics for sure. But there's something to it. And I think it works really well. And this is probably the best example of, of, the, of his sound, I think. And it's something to behold. And, you know, it's very 80s, but it's, it's cool. Yes. Rick James, Street Songs. Check it out, bitch. <laughs> I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
Maybe we made you laugh or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. I don't know. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl <laughs> or boy. Okay, so um, Madonna... Occasionally called the the queen of pop, is that right? I hope not. <laughs> she uh, she actually appeared on Solid Gold multiple times, but in 1984, uh, she performed "Like a Virgin." She yeah, performed right. <laughs> "Like a Virgin." Actually, appears on the album "Like a Virgin," which is the the second studio album by Madonna, born Madonna Louise Schicone in Bay City, Michigan, in 1958. But again, it's her second album. She was really looking to you know make a, a, a smash, and she chose. Nile Rogers to, to produce the album. Here he comes again. Yep, who had just worked with David Bowie on Let's Dance. Uh, so let's hear that title track. Here's Like a Virgin. I remember it uh, famously defeating uh, Duran Duran Wild Boys uh, on oh. Friday Night Video Fights on MTV. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like a Virgin was uh, written by Tom Kelly and Billy Steenberg. These guys have actually created a bunch of hits over the years. Uh, True Colors by um, Ooh, Cindy Lauper, Eternal Flame by uh, the Bangles, I Touch Myself by the Divinals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like much of the album, it features the members of Chic. Uh, so Niall Rogers on guitar, Bernard Edwards on bass, and Tony Thompson on drums. Uh, so what I, what I like about the, the lyrics of this song are that basically the implication is there that she's not a virgin. Right. What? No, 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 no. She wore a white dress on, on the MTV Video Music Awards. She clearly was a virgin. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think that's, um, I don't know, there's something about that I, that I think is kind of special. Um, and I think that sort of sets her apart from maybe some other, you know, female pop stars. You know, she's uh, empowered here. Uh, so my clickbait headline for the album is, uh, Female Pop Star Takes Charge of Her Sexuality. Um, so while there's a lot of you know, songs about sex on this album. I feel like she's in charge. You know, she's not a passive sex object. It reminds me of, you know, I think Tina Turner um, and Janet Jackson uh, sort of come from a, a similar perspective. Mm -hmm. Madonna is the most powerful woman to ever walk the face of the earth. <laughs> let's, uh, uh, let's hear a, a, another cut uh, on the album. This is Material Girl. Okay, so Material Girl was written by Peter Brown and Robert Rands, so one must consider the perspective of the songwriters here. <laughs> I think maybe it was just written about being a material girl, but I think the way Madonna delivered it felt like she was railing against like she was an individual and she did things her own way so relying on some guy giving her a bunch of gifts i think it was more a rant against mm. that kind of ideology if you're going to be a, a strong individual the clickbait headline i went for was children of the 80s wonder what a virgin is parents panic <laughs> it, <laughs> it was spicy in those days uh i had a sister that uh was very young maybe three or four at the time and she was wriggling around singing like a virgin I'll oh tell you God. it's disturbing that's a, that's a disturbing that's something I don't want to say <laughs> yeah uh, it, it was so pervasive and I think it probably did make for a lot of uncomfortable conversations 
I remember at that time, Material Girl, the video, I was, I remember pointing it out to my parents of like, see, she's dressed like Marilyn Monroe and she's nice. And this is about like the good things in life. I mean, I was a little kid. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I remember thinking that that was the way to convince my parents that she wasn't dirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to listen to it. <laughs> I never actually heard the whole album until I was an adult, uh, a few years ago, actually. And uh, it's not super compelling. The singles are great. The filler does n is not super interesting to me. Like, shooby-doo. Yeah. Like, shooby-dooby-doo. No, thank you. Yeah, the end of this <laughs> record falls off fast, I would say. <laughs> yeah. There's some weird scatting moments. But they got the, she got the job done here, right? With Material Girl, Angel, Like a Virgin, Dress You Up. Then on the subsequent album, True Blue, that's a much more complete record. She was much more involved in the production and the songwriting. Mm -hmm. The vocals, she got to be a little more diverse in her vocal style on, on subsequent records. So I think she, after this record, it was the Madonna show from that point forward. Mm. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's hear another one from the album. Here's Love Don't Live Here Anymore. That's, that's probably the best non-single on the record, I think. Best vocal performance, too. Definitely the most emotion we get from Madonna on the record, in my opinion, on that track. Originally recorded by Rose Royce in 1978. Yeah, I think her voice sounds great on that track. The rest of the record, I struggle with sort of what she's going for with that sort of nasally kind of... Betty Boopish. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> sounds so cute and adorable and, and young on this record. It's a little hard for me to get behind at times. Um, but my clickbait headline is Niall Rogers unleashes chaos on unsuspecting teens. <laughs> this, was a, yeah, this was a huge deal. I remember, you know, thinking of Madonna as very scandalous and, and, you know, sexy and, you know, just kind of almost revolutionary at the time for, for young adults. And this was the record that kind of put her on the map, at least from an outsider's perspective. Um, but listening back to it as an adult, I, yeah, I wasn't as into it as I thought I would be. Um, mostly comes down to her vocal performance for me. I just get caught up on that. She doesn't really sound like her true voice. Like you, you really do get that later in her career and maybe there's flashes of it here. But I think the main thing holding this record together is is the production and just like how well crafted these the hit the hits are. You know, like these mm -hmm. two year old girl and like a virgin especially just are so well composed and they have such a you know infectious quality to them that, you know, still is makes you smile and still makes you dance around like an idiot and even after all these years. So not my favorite Madonna record, but I can definitely see the see why it's still kind of relevant nowadays. Yeah, I mean there's some good songs on the previous record too, but yeah, this is what allowed her to like to actually be the artist she wanted to be, to have the right. power to do so. So Okay. Well, if, uh, as Andy said, you want to dance around the room like an idiot, check out <laughs> Madonna's Like a Virgin from 1984. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Now, Deep Questions by Don. All right, so we're you know we're talking about these um, you know these pop music programs, which really feel like you know just something from the past, right? So, what other old school television programming shaped your childhood? Yeah, for me, it's really two programs that were I don't want to say were my childhood, but they were a big part of who I was <laughs> in the eighties. <80s. laughs> 
uh, He Man. Mm-hmm. I just re- recently rewatched the series. The original oh, really? series. Wow. It kind of blew my mind, actually. <laughs> Very scantily clad people on that show. Yeah, yes. Pretty- <laughs> well, Skeletor is so, like, not threatening when, you know, it's like, I'm evil. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, he's more like a jester on that yeah. show than, yeah. <laughs> than, like, a villain. Uh, it's very interesting. Is he the same voice as Cobra Commander, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. Could be. It might be. They're very similar. I don't know. I never thought of that. Because, yeah, the other show I was big into was, was G.I. Joe. Sure. He saw a lot of fights between my G.I. Joe and He-Man action figures, so. But, yeah, but yeah, He-Man had to win because you'd turn his his upper body and it would spring out and it's got, yeah, it's the got punching it. action. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, twice the size of the G.I. Yeah. Joe characters. Depends if you had the old school G.I. Joe oh, that yeah. were like legit yes. like two feet tall. <laughs> I had some of those for my dad. Those were Barbie size, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for me, when I think back on like the music shows like Friday Night Videos, American Bandstand, Solid Gold, those were my favorite things to you know learn about music because I was always fascinated with it. But after school specials, <laughs> something that like lately uh, I, I got caught in a rabbit hole on YouTube. Some of those ABC after school specials are posted up on there starring like Scott Bayo. Stone. And, <laughs> was the one called Stone <laughs> Yes, where he's where he gets <laughs> yeah, he's a good kid, but then he gets hooked into marijuana and it ruins his life and he almost oh, kills his gosh. brother. Uh <laughs> But I, I got like a few months ago, I just was watching those like all the way through and but they were basically little movies. They were made for TV movies to teach youngsters about the dangers of drugs or being careful with premarital sex. There's one where this teacher is teaching about Nazi Germany oh, and wow. then ends up to for a social experiment creating this club like oh, called the yeah. movement or the wave the, the wave, wave that's it yeah. and then the students all like start warring with each other and whatever and it, so they were pretty heady i mean for kids you'd watch this on after monday afternoon there'd be a occasional after school special they were hard-hitting subjects so <laughs> i think i appreciated those because they treated me like i was worthy of understanding the world around me and not just hmm. cartoons i think we had hmm. to read that wave book like in eighth grade or something yeah. like that so, I mean, for me, I I spent my childhood kind of watching MTV. And so, <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, that doesn't uh, exist a- anymore. But um, thinking back to, you know, watching television um, back in the day, Andy might not even be aware of this, but the television networks or those channels, they would sign off like a- a- at a certain point in the middle of the night. So I remember like if I yeah. had a friend um, staying over or something, you know, you'd try to stay up as late as you could. And so like one signpost was, you know, when a station would sign yes. off and play the national anthem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember getting up super early on Saturday to watch cartoons and none of the channels were on yet. It would just be a screen going, beep, oh my gosh, you know? it's so, wild. so I'd go like, I'd go on PBS and watch some like yoga show, just anything because it was the only <laughs> channel that had anything on it. <laughs> Well, what what old school television programs shaped your childhood? Let us know. Hit us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and threads. Also on Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. With this week's number nine, we're not going to take it. Twisted Yeah. Who was that? That was Rick Dees. That was pretty wild. Is that where he like was eating his leg as he was introducing yeah. the band? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I had a crazy day Snyder. Like I was really looking for something outside of the norm and I happened to find a list of quote unquote metal and hard rock acts that appeared on Solid Gold. So Twisted Sister made perfect sense for me. And their album Stay Hungry from May 10th, 1984. Twisted Sister formed in 1972 from Hohokus, New Jersey. Love saying that. Hohokus. So Twisted Sister's classic lineup, which was formed around 1982, had uh, the members D. Snyder, of course, on lead vocals, Eddie Ojeda on lead guitar, J.J. French on rhythm guitar, Mark Mendoza on bass, and A.J. Perro on drums. This was the lineup that started recording albums, uh, and their third was Stay Hungry. Why don't we kick things off with the big hit song, We're Not Gonna Take It. All right, so stay hungry, and we're not going to take it. Man, was that ever a, the first probably fist-pumping anthem that I ever, at a young age, was uh, trying to challenge my parents with to some degree? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure parents around of the 80s were very appreciative yes. of Dee Snyder providing this fodder oh, for all oh, children sure. of America. <laughs> You know, the song We're Not Gonna Take It is pretty pretty clear. It conveys a message of self-empowerment, seizing control. You're phony and fake. Don't don't uh, make me be someone I'm not, right? And we all appreciate that, especially when we're young, that idea that we can take control. The clickbait headline that I came up with here, alleged bad influence sings about hell and serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. (laughs) Themes and and lyrics can be interpreted in many ways, and there's quite a few songs on this album that seem one way and might be really about something else. But the PMRC, the Parent Music Resource Center, was a committee formed in uh, 1985 by Tipper Gore. They were basically looking to take control uh, over the access of children to music deemed to have violent or drug-related or sexual themes, and Twisted Sister... Specifically, we're not going to take it. Was on their list. Uh, it's like the naughty one hundred or something like that. I can't. That's not. I don't think that. I don't think that's right. I'm not sure. This is before the parental guidelines. They call it the that, naughty yes. one hundred. Really? Yeah, it was something like that. What was it called, Don? Do you remember? No, that sounds right. It's like the most wanted list, but for music. Yeah. No, the filthy fifteen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this filthy fifteen list, as I mentioned, included Twisted Sister, but it also had. Madonna, Dress You Up from Like a Virgin was on the list. Prince was on the list with Darling Nikki, which makes sense, I think. <laughs> um, but Def Leppard, Cyndi Lauper, uh, and then metal bands like Judas Priest and Wasp were on the list as well. But uh, So yeah, Andy, this is what led to the parental guidance stickers on albums. But yeah, um, Twisted Sister was sort of on trial. Dee Snyder appeared at some hearings um, and go look it up on YouTube. He said some pretty cool stuff. Uh, he handled himself very well. And so, yeah, so that did, that did eventually get resolved, allegedly. <laughs> um, so back to the album. There's songs about serial killers. There's songs about hell. And 
these themes, of course, are part of what made heavy metal of the 80s as it was on its meteoric rise to popularity at this time. Those were some of the tropes that were that were common, but Twisted Sister did a really good job of taking all of those and doing it effectively uh, throughout the record. And uh, they kind of made a a perfect amalgamation of the of those types of themes, but in clever and entertaining ways. They even managed to make a song about going to hell with a lesson. So let's check out a little bit of Burn in Hell. Surprisingly, I mean, maybe I shouldn't be surprised by how dark that song is. At the age I was when I first heard this record, I was like, oh my God. I didn't really understand <laughs> that it was about not making bad decisions so that you don't go to hell, essentially. Yeah, it's really a positive message, but it yes. paints it in this dark landscape, which yes. I think is just sells to kids perfectly. I mean, yeah, I could yeah. not, I couldn't understand it enough as a kid to then explain to my parents this was not a bad thing, but uh, <laughs> right, right, right. They saw the title and that was it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I mean, you see the album cover of, of this record here with, with Dee Snyder like in a cage eating like someone's thigh bone or something. <laughs> <laughs> but you could definitely get the wrong message pretty easily, I would say, if you were a parent. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this record as a whole, I really came to enjoy quite a bit. I was surprised at how substantial it felt to me listening to it now. Um, my clickbait headline is Local Man Found in Dee Snyder's Basement, Okay, Well Fed. <laughs> <laughs> this record is is pretty wild um there's a lot of graphic dark stuff happening here especially with kind of the center of the, of the record this horteria um sort of trilogy mm-hmm. eight minute uh epic that talks about this character who's like kidnapping kids and keeping them in their basement it's creepy stuff man and he really goes into yes. detail about how it how it all transpire and uh i mean i I bought into it man i was definitely captivated by the storytelling um he kind of reprises the role in the 1998 film strange land which uh d center would act in as well playing captain howdy captain howdy yeah pretty dark stuff kind of ahead of its time i would say in terms of you know the online aspect kind of working into these uh the songs here yeah i know the b-side i thought was really solid too Songs like Don't Let Me Down and and SMF were uh, <laughs> particularly memorable. <laughs> yeah, that was that that was a code I even got away with in Catholic school. I'd, I, we'd all say that yes, and man. not get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very thinly veiled uh, acronym there. I think it uh, is actually the name of the fan club, the sick motherfucking fans of Twisted Sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds right. <laughs> Um, the one thing going back and listening to the version and it's on Spotify is this struck me was the mixing. Like there's a lot of low end. Mm. The low end on this record feels important and you know, it's got like a real metal edge to it, but you can hardly hear it on, on a lot yeah. of these tracks here. It's unfortunately just like been mixed down to hardly anything. Um, but if you can get past that, I think this is a pretty, pretty enjoyable listen for me at least. Surprise. It's surprisingly good when it's so easy to dismiss albums of that era especially the they get thrown into the hair metal uh bucket sometimes yeah this wasn't as hair metally as i thought yeah. it would be a lot of those trips are not here thankfully all right so why don't we uh listen to a little bit of the price oh, it's the price we now pay and 
uh, the price uh, is, I guess, sort of like the one kind of melodic ballad on on the album. But it's not a romantic. Right. That's the best part. It's not a romantic ballad. Yeah. Although it might be. It could be. Yeah. It seems to be about sort of like the consequences of getting what you want. So I guess that could be fame or love or, or whatever. And uh, just a shout out. I know we have um, you know some audience members in the Rochester, New York area. The video for that song, which I remember because it was like the first time I saw them without makeup. The <laughs> video was shot at the, the Rochester War Memorial. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, they were opening for Iron Maiden uh, on that tour, I guess, and they passed through Rochester. Cool. Uh, anyway, my uh, clickbait headline for the album is The 80s Finds Its Kiss. So, I mean, even <laughs> yes. without the, you know, the makeup, they are kiss-like in that they're sort of creating these these rock anthems. But I would say the big difference is, I don't know, a lot of the kiss songs are about getting laid, and I don't think any of these are. <laughs> you know, these are about horror or, you know, rebellion and, and stuff like that. So... It's just a solid and, I guess, accessible rock album. You know, I mean, despite the makeup and all that that stuff um, and kind of their scary look, it's just right. a really accessible album. I remember even, you know, when I was, you know, that age and, I mean, I was frightened by this kind of thing, but for some reason, like, that album seemed sort of safe. The, the funny videos for We're Not Gonna Take It and I Wanna Rock, I think, helped yeah. to make it more superhero cartoony than scary. Yep. Yeah, it's it's really just a charming little album. <laughs> charming. That's exactly what they were <laughs> yeah. shooting for, I'm sure. It's accessible, but it but it's somehow it's not pandering, and I'm not really sure why it doesn't feel that way. No, it feels very authentic. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. All right, so I encourage you to go watch the the Solid Gold performance. You can find on YouTube of. Twisted Sister. They are outlandish and silly and fun to watch. It's not good quality, but the music is. Go check out Twisted Sister. Stay hungry if you haven't heard it before, or even if you have. What do you want to do with your life? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right. Well, we uh, we spent the last week sort of uh, immersing ourselves in the, the world of, of solid gold performances. Uh, but what else have you been digging lately? Uh, I got a handful of new release recommendations here. I'll throw out here. First one is up from a three-piece called Slift. They're from France. The album is called Ilion. Kind of experimental rock. It's a pretty lengthy record. In the vein of like the OCs, if you're familiar with them. No. <laughs> the OCs, yeah. Oh, wait, the O H S E E S. Yes, I'm familiar with them. Not the O period C not period. The Orange counties. <laughs> I was no, thinking about the them. show and stuff. <laughs> California. The other one I'll mention here is from uh, like a power punk group here. Um, I believe this is their first record. Uh, they're called Nick Deep. Not my usual jam, this genre, but uh, I think it's actually pretty well written. I, there's quite a few songs nice. in here that struck me as, as being pretty well polished, so sticking with the neck deep. Are you sure that their name isn't Blink-183? <laughs> <sighs> I was going to make that joke. Very well can be. <laughs> Damn it. Another uh, punk rock group here called uh, Green Day. You may have heard of them. Oh, yes. Blink-181. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, they have kind of a return to form record out, I guess I would say. Uh, the record is called Saviors. Uh, it just came out last week. It's got quite a bit of 
of buzz on the internet and streaming, it seems. So that exists. I can't believe that these dudes are like 50 and they sound like so far they really sound like uh full of vim and vigor maybe they're <laughs> taking their 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 one a days like i am that's <laughs> what we have to do uh so i was listening to uh another cool music podcast called uh, broken record and there was a, a guy from a band that i hadn't heard of uh called future islands uh, apparently they're actually quite well known i'm just uh, out of touch <laughs> They're out of time. <laughs> They're uh, like a, a synth pop group, so I, you know, figured I'd I'd check them out, and uh, you know, I'm kind of enjoying them. Their um, latest album uh, just came out. It's called uh, "People Who Aren't There Anymore." Um, so I, I'm not sure I love them yet, but maybe it just takes a while to get used to synth pop that doesn't come from England. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think they're pretty decent, then. I, I, they feel like someone that you would en- enjoy, so I wasn't surprised this came up on your list here. Where are they from? Cleveland, I think. Mm. I was hoping they were from Canada. That would be an easier transition for you. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, for me, I've been playing around with an old favorite, Judas Priest. Their new album, Invincible Shield, is, don't know I love that name, but that's coming out March 8th, uh, 2024. It's their 19th album. Supposedly, it's a bit more progressive than their last album, Firepower, which I loved. Uh, some touches of the 70s Priest albums, so we'll see. Uh, the singles that are available right now are Crown of Horns, Trial by Fire, and Panic Attack, which I really enjoy that one. Lots of guitar. Ooh, feels like you could melt your uh, headphones with that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> yeah. it, it's uh, impressive stuff. For sure. Also, as far as like uh, me acquiring vinyl, on episode 153 of the Album Nerds podcast, we talked about the Wu-Tang Clan, which I had never really explored or listened to. I did pick up Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers on vinyl. It's uh, due to that show and due to my appreciation of what they were doing at the time in that space. Uh, it was my first hip-hop album on vinyl. I've, I had stuff as a kid, like on cassette, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince and stuff, but uh, that was the first and I have, uh, I've added another since, and maybe I'll get into that on a, another episode. Oh, congratulations, man. Is that, a, is that a double or is that a, a triple, maybe? It's a lengthy nope. record. Just a two, two-sided. Yeah. Two, yep. two which chambers. Is, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> two chambers. It's got, the, uh, it's got the Shaolin sword, side A, and I think the, the Wu-Tang sword is side B. Nice. Well, what are you digging lately? Uh, let us know. Hit us up on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. It will be a discovery of extraordinary value. Well, guys, as I'm sure you know, it's about this point in the show when I like to think about the famed Scottish inventor Alexander Graham Bell, who famously said, Great discoveries and improvements are invariably involve the cooperation of many minds. He stole that from me. <laughs> uh-huh. Somehow he did that. Well, with that sort of group collaboration and discovery in mind, it is that we bring out Wadba and uh, find out what we'll be listening to on next week's show. February is often referred to as the month of love. You will spend the next four episodes exploring themes of romance. 
You will start by discovering albums that can set that mood with a sensual serenade. Wow, so a uh, little curveball from the young and vivacious Wadbot. And uh, yeah, so a, a theme of love and romance through the next four weeks. And uh, we'll be focusing on those sensual serenades in the, the first week of that series. So uh, albums that uh, are good for midnight connections. <laughs> <laughs> Well said, well said. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that that should be nice, guys. We can get into a good uh get into a good groove here. Get a good rhythm established. Yeah. Hopefully it won't get too uncomfortable. <laughs> no with no video feed during that, that discussion. Oh, I'm sure it'll get uncomfortable quicker than we think. What's your favorite romantic album? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for joining us on the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with some sensual serenades, and we'll try not to creep you out. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Turn it down, you say. But all I got to say to you is time and time again, I say no. No, no, no. (laughs) Wow, dog. I had to read the words because I... I, (laughs) That's hard. That was still good. The the tempo of that is tough. Yeah, hats off to Dee Snyder. He makes it seem easy. (laughs) 